Coming to you from the AT&T Podcast Studio, this is Long Story Short. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Keaton Ross covers democracy and criminal justice for Oklahoma Watch. He recently reported on the deaths of two state prisoners during an intense late summer heat wave. Keaton, could you give us a brief description of uh, these two inmates and how they died? They were in their late 50s, early 60s. I believe one was 59 and the other was 64. They lived in a housing unit uh, at the Dick Connor Correctional Center in Hominy. They had some pre-existing health conditions. Of course, they were a little bit older, uh, but they were going to work every day. They lived in a general population uh, housing unit, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and then during, as the, the temperature started climbing in August, uh, they died. Now, has the state medical examiner ruled on their cause of death? Not yet. The... Uh, one of the deaths uh, was not reported to the state medical examiner of a prisoner named Vincent Willis. The other, uh, his name was Jimmy Lanford. His, that death has been forwarded to the state medical examiner. Uh, that that final uh, death report is still pending. Now, that first one, uh, why would they not report that to the state? So it the the statute on whether uh, a death has to be reported to the state. Uh, isn't as clear for state prisons as it is for uh, jails uh, for various reasons. Uh, still, uh, of course, is a little, uh, you know, complex legally and getting into the weeds a little bit. Uh, but that's my understanding is that uh, unless there was like a fight or something sudden, uh, that doesn't always have to be forwarded to the medical examiner. And of course, it might depend on what the the family wants. Uh, so a uh, little bit of a difference between prisons and jails there. Uh, what information were you able to gather about uh, temperatures inside the prison around the time of these deaths? Around the time of these deaths, uh, temperatures for, for much of the month were well over 100 degrees. Of course, that was across the state, very uncomfortable heat wave. Uh, I talked to one employee uh, who told me that they measured a temperature of 97 inside of uh, a cell. Um, so, of course, you can imagine being in that uh, 97 degree temperatures without any any relief uh, can certainly take a toll. Um, so the the persistent heat and, of course, no central air conditioning in, in most of the housing units there uh, started to, to take a toll for sure. Now, uh does the state corrections department believe that those two deaths were heat related? They've stated they do not believe the deaths are heat related. Of, of course, there there will be on one of the deaths a final determination by the state medical examiner, but their official statement is they do not believe it's heat related. Now, how can long term heat exposure exacerbate pre existing conditions? These these two inmates that. Uh, plus or minus 60 years old a little bit, and neither was in great health to begin with. Uh, does the heat play into that? Sure. So, you know, as the as the temperatures rise and, you know, especially if you're not able to get much relief at night as you're uh, trying to sleep and get some rest, uh, that can, it can talk, 
that can essentially make your heart have to work a lot harder, um, trying to, to keep your core functions going. Um, so they, it can certainly take a toll, uh, especially on, uh, older individuals, those with preexisting health conditions, those on, uh, certain medications, um, all of those factors can, can make someone more sensitive to the heat than your average, uh, healthy person. Uh, how many Oklahoma prisons, uh, are without air conditioning? So it's a little difficult to pinpoint that because there are, there are several prisons that may have air conditioning, like in a common area, but not on a housing unit or some of the housing units might have air conditioning while others don't. Um, so it's it's a little difficult to to pinpoint that. But there are certainly several housing units uh, at this, the Dick Connor Correctional Center, for instance. I believe there's one housing unit that has air conditioning, air conditioning and the other seven or eight do not. Um, of course, the Department of Corrections will tell you that they have fan, they give them access to fans and ice and um, they have, some of them have like chillers, portable um, cooling systems, that sort of thing. Um, but just with those, those temperature readings that I mentioned earlier, certainly uh, can get pretty hot in, in some of those housing units. Now in prisons uh, without central air conditioning, what can be done to try to keep those temperatures down? You mentioned a couple of the things DOC points to. Sure. Yeah. Like I mentioned, those those portable chillers, uh, the ice. Um, sometimes if you if you have a facility that has, you know, a day room with air conditioning, that sort of thing, you might uh, try to give, you know, the population more time in, in that setting. Um, you know, I talked to some folks who told me that uh, to try to stay cool, they, you know, dip a towel in cold water and put it over their face or put it over their head or put, uh, you know, a, a wet towel in front of a fan. Um those sort of tactics just to try to to provide some relief. Uh, of course, not everyone in the in the general population has air conditioning, um, but you know you might be able to go to a library or public place that to cool off for a bit. Uh, and of course, in prison, that's that's uh, you don't have as many of those options. Uh, so have to have to get creative sometimes, I guess. Now, is there any effort to get universal air conditioning in all Oklahoma prisons? I've talked with some some advocates who who would like to see that. Uh, of course, that uh, that logistically, you know, starts to get expensive. And then there are questions on if there we should be spending money to make things more comfortable uh, for prisoners. But the the folks I've I've talked to, their argument is essentially, you know, we were convicted of a crime, we were punished, but these temperatures uh, essentially constitute a punishment that's that's greater than. Uh, the crime. Um, we've seen a similar push uh, just just down south in Texas. Uh, there was a bill that passed through the, the Texas House of Representatives that would have required universal air conditioning uh, that didn't ultimately didn't get through the full legislature. But um, there's been some similar issues discussed in, in, in conversations in Texas where I believe about 70 percent of their prisons don't have air conditioning. Um, so it's it's not it's a com conversation then that's happening in a lot of states, not just Oklahoma. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. You can read Keaton's coverage of uh, these two deaths in the Oklahoma Department of Corrections system, as well as all of his other coverage on the topics of criminal justice and democracy. You'll find them at our website, OklahomaWatch.org. While you're there, you can also subscribe to Keaton's weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch.
Keaton Ross covers democracy and criminal justice at Oklahoma Watch. In his latest story, he reports that an Oklahoma prison was confining inmates in two-by-two-foot shower stalls for extended periods. Keaton, how did you come across this story? Over the past several weeks, I've had several uh, readers, uh, people who have uh, followed my work, and I've I've talked to, you know, sources reach out to me with uh, concerns about conditions at the facility, um, meals arriving late, uh, cells overcrowding, violence, that sort of thing. Um, and over the course of those conversations, there were uh, folks telling me about uh, the situation uh, in the shower stalls. And, and over the course of that initial uh, reporting, I came across uh, or I, I was able to get a report uh, about the those conditions in the shower stalls. All right. And remind me, uh, which prison are we talking about? That is the Great Plains Correctional Center in Hinton. All right. Now, uh, who reported the concerns about conditions inside that prison? It was two correctional officers who were dispatched from the John Lilly Correctional Center in Bowley to Great Plains to uh, alleviate staffing shortages uh, that outlined in the report what was going on in there. Uh, they laid out uh, concerns about the conditions in there uh, and, and also stated that they were concerned they could be held legally liable for, for what was going on. And as, as I recall, they each wrote their own report, but they're uh, very similar, same kinds of problems that they cited in their individual reports. Yes, that's correct. Now, what specifically did the officers allege in those reports? They uh, described conditions where inmates weren't receiving water or restroom breaks. Uh, they were uh, defecating and urinating into trash bags and cups. Uh, of course, in that that very con confined space, they wrote that uh, the prisoners weren't able to lie down or sit down comfortably. Uh, and they they stated in their report that they heard conversations, uh, were able to gather in, in information that indicates that uh, folks were being held in, in there as long as nine days. Now, uh, according to the officers, what was the uh, longest amount of time? Nine days? Was that the, the longest one they saw or reported? That was the, the I, that was based off of conversations they had with other staff, I believe, was nine days. I think they, uh, over the course of working shifts, identified some other cases where it may have been four days or five days uh, straight. Uh, certainly an extended period to be in that sort of confined space. All right. And they they reported this to uh, to somebody at the prison or a supervisor somewhere. Did that did that lead to an investigation? It did. It led to uh, an investigation by the uh, Department of Corrections Inspector General. Um, they they went to the prison and interviewed several staff and, and inmates and uh, released a report late last month uh, outlining what was going on in, in the shower stalls. And and what was the result of that investigation? What did they find? Uh, they ultimately found that the, the prison violated state policy on record keeping. Uh, there's a certain process that uh, you're supposed to go to if you send an inmate to a, a solitary or restricted housing unit. Um, but nothing in the report uh, cites the facility for the conditions inside of the showers, shower stalls. Uh, now, you spoke with an expert on prison conditions about some of the concerns that were raised in these reports. What did they tell you? So they told me, uh, essentially, it's, of course, I mentioned earlier that the officers were concerned that they might be held liable in a lawsuit about the conditions. 
uh, the expert I spoke with said it's it's very difficult to uh, bring a lawsuit, not impossible, but but extremely hard uh, due to some uh, some some of the rules governing that. Of course, there was uh, a 1995 pr- federal prison litigation act that uh, states that you have to go through the internal chain of command before you can raise a federal complaint, that sort of thing. And of course, that that requires resources and, you know, outside legal help. Um, so very difficult, not impossible. Um, it has been done before, but uh, it's not something that uh, any old person can do on their own. Now, beside the conditions in the restricted housing unit, have uh, there been other issues uh, at the prison? There have. There was, and this was outlined briefly in the Inspector General's report, but there have been uh, reports I've received of of meals being sporadic and arriving late. Uh, there was one instance where lunch arrived at 10 p.m. and dinner arrived at midnight. Um, so as you might imagine, that that could certainly spur tensions or rise tensions as, you know, the hours are going by without receiving any food. Um, and there, there have also been uh, several violent instances. Uh, there was one case where a prisoner was attacked in, in front of a caseworker in their office um, some other issues with uh, security and violence at the facility that I've uh, I've heard about. Uh, so certainly has been uh, sort of a rough, you know, four or five months since the prison opened in May. Well, and you mentioned uh, that four or five months uh, since the prison opened in May, but really it opened as a state-run facility in May, didn't it? It was a private prison before that? That's correct. It was uh, a, a private uh federal transfer center that held federal inmates until, uh, I believe, May 2021, the uh, the Biden administration issued an executive order that they weren't renewing contracts with private prison facilities. And that ultimately uh, led to the facility being vacated and and, uh, empty for about two years until the state took it over. And then when the state took it over, uh, as I recall, the uh, DOC had a fair amount of hoopla around that and press releases and uh, somebody handing over the keys to Steve Harp, the uh, fairly newly named head of the Department of Corrections at the time. Wasn't that the case? That's right. And uh, sort of the the reasoning for it, uh, they closed uh, a prison in Sayre, the North Fork Correctional Center, uh, and moved a lot of those inmates to this prison in Hinton. Um, the reasoning being that uh, with it being closer to the Oklahoma City area, that you, uh, they'd have better luck finding people to work there, uh, finding, you know, people to do programs and whatnot. Um, so that was sort of the reasoning um, and the some of the concerns since, but then uh, raised by some folks I've talked to is that uh, that transition happened uh, a little too quickly. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the situation that happened there earlier this year. Now, uh, in, in your story, you you uh, have the reports from these correctional officers that witnessed some of the problems uh, inside that facility and, and asked to go back uh, and get out of there. Um, their supervisor wrote a report, as I recall, that confirmed a lot of what they had to say. You talked to at least one inmate there that uh, substantiated uh, some of those things that were going on with people being locked in the shower stalls, uh, that kind of thing. Yet, uh, the internal investigation, the inspector general comes along and all he cites, uh, all he says he can find uh, wrong with the prison is a reporting error. Uh, do you have any sense of, of how those two things justify? 
Yeah. So the, uh, the justification from the staff, uh, in the report is that they, uh, they did not intend for anyone to stay in the shower stalls for that long. Uh, there was some discussion in the report that, you know, the the uh, director, warden of the prison had a strategy where, like, if someone was uh, angry about something, upset, maybe they, they just needed some alone time for a second. They had a strategy where they'd put a, they'd let them go to a shower stall for an hour or two to kind of cool off. The thought here was that... Uh, They'd be held in the shower stall for 30 minutes or so as they the staff worked to get them placed in a cell. Um, and as the as more people kept coming to the restricted housing unit, a lot of that doing to the fact that this particular prison has a lot of eight man cells. Uh, a lot of prisoners aren't used to that and they're uh, refusing to, to live in those cells, essentially. So they'd be transferred to the restricted housing unit um, It essentially led to a backlog. Um, so that was sort of the justification of it from prison staff um, as to why uh, the facility wasn't cited for that. That might weigh into it somewhat. Uh, I know I've talked to some folks who would like to see uh, an independent investigation into it. Uh, we'll certainly uh, keep following up on that and see if there's a uh, uh, possibility of that. Uh, but that's that's sort of the context for uh, why the prison says they, they left them in the showers for so long. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. Uh, you can read Keaton's coverage of the uh, problems at the Great Plains Correctional Center in Hidden, as long as long with the rest of his work on criminal justice and democracy on our website, OklahomaWatch.org. While you're there, also subscribe to Keaton's free weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This episode was recorded at the AT&T Podcast Studio. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.